0: Hello, I'm Gemma Kearney and welcome to Life on Our Terms, a podcast with The Open University. This series, I'm chatting to all sorts of successful people who looked at mainstream ideas about career paths or success and decided to go their own way. It turns out there are heaps of different ways of achieving your ambitions and I'm hoping that these conversations and insights will inspire you too, whatever your passion. I've teamed up with the OU because they're all about enabling ambition and bringing university to you wherever you are. OU Learning is flexible and supportive, giving students the chance to access education on their own terms and fit study around their lives. With over 50 years experience, they are experts in distance learning and that's something I get super excited about. I already feel like I've learnt heaps from the guests that we've met and this week is no exception. This episode, I'm talking tech on our terms with the amazing Sharmadine Reid. Sharmadine's the entrepreneur and founder of Beautystack, and she's got a lot to tell us about how technology has enabled her to achieve her ambitions. Through her story of breaking down barriers in the tech industry, we're going to unpack some ideas about a future where education emphasises inclusion in STEM and tech fields. Now, you might know Sharmadine is founder of fashionable nail art salon, War Nails, for a good decade, your nails weren't worth a second look if they weren't adorned with WA nails' bespoke out-their designs. But in 2019, after 10 years of business, Sharmadine closed the doors of Wah to make way for a new venture in a world traditionally considered male, pale and stale, the tech industry. Merging her knowledge of the beauty sector with a thirst to encourage women to become their own bosses, Sharmadine has created Beauty Stack an app that allows beauticians to list their treatments and beauty lovers the chance to book them hassle-free. I've just got to find out more about the woman behind an app this empowering. I already know Sharmadine's incredible and forward-thinking. I cannot wait to pick her brain about how she lives life on her terms. Hello, Sharmadine. How are you? I'm good, thank you. I'm very excited to pick your brains because you are one of our generation's masterminds. So... How would you explain BeautyStack to our listeners?
1: So BeautyStack is a social network with images and following and liking and saving and commenting, but you can book directly from the pictures. So instead of screenshotting all the pictures from your social media feed, you can literally click, book them directly with the person who did that, like braid or nail or facial or whatever it is. And how was
0: it born? Where did this come from? Because it's a great idea, but at the same time, who actually has the idea? Sharmadine reed that's the person, but when and where?
1: So I have, in various forms, been trying to create a tagging structure for the thousands of nail images that we used to take at my first business, which was a salon called Wa Nails. So Wa Nails was formed in 2008, 2009, and we really pioneered the use of pictures for like sharing what we did in a salon. You've got to remember that 2009, not many people had an iPhone. Uh, everyone was still on BlackBerry.
0: I missed the BlackBerry. I, I got to interject and say, I like using two hands when I respond to an email, even in small device form. <laughs>
1: I really, really miss the BlackBerry. Um, but yeah, there was no Instagram. People weren't taking pictures with their phones. and But we were taking pictures using BlackBerry and early iPhone and sharing them out on Facebook groups and on Tumblr. And we would just get inundated with requests all the time, which would be like, what is this nail art? Who did it? How long did it take? Can I get it in pink instead of blue? And that was from day one, to be honest. So 10 years ago. And I thought it'd be so much easier if you could book the picture. It would stop me spending hours in admin, sending emails like in the middle of the night, responding to all these requests. So yeah, that's, that's how it came about. And when
0: you first had the idea, how do people respond and how do you garner uh, an interest in that on a professional level?
1: Well, it's it's a really interesting question because what I've learned is that a lot of people struggle with having a killer idea, you know, having a vision of how they think the world will be. But that bit was so crystal in my mind, what I actually struggled with was the execution of it. Because if I say to you, wouldn't it be cool if you're on social media and you could just book the picture? everyone's like, well, yeah, that's obvious. That would be amazing. This is really needed. Why doesn't it exist yet? But because I'd never built technology before, I'd never built software before. I didn't know anything about product management, user flows, UI, UX, didn't know any of that. My skill set actually had to catch up to the idea that I had. And that was a real learning curve for me. Because if I was to... Um, If I was to start Beauty Stack again today, there are so many ways I would do it. It would be very different. (laughs) It would be a completely different process. I'd probably start with a telephone and a spreadsheet and say, Gemma, what treatments are you looking for? And I'll connect you with the best people. Um, and I would do that for a very long time to learn what the user actually wants before I would code a single thing. Did you
0: do any traditional training around starting Beauty Stack? And if not for Beauty Stack, before that, when was the last time that you studied a course or did some specific reading or research on something that's helped carve out your career?
1: Gemma, I'm obsessed with courses. <laughs> ah! I I am obsessed with a course. Um, So in terms of your first question, a traditional piece of study, I would say that with entrepreneurship and business, it's incredible to know the foundations. I actually did business studies from age 11, which some people would be surprised to hear because I went to this really weird techie school and they made you do business studies, GCSE, literally at my first lesson. I had three hours of business studies every single week from age 11. I'm weirdly not surprised, actually. (laughs) But the thing is, is nothing actually prepares you until you're in, you know, you're actually in it. And I think being a leader... And management is very different to business studies. Um, I would say that management, again, a thing that I've had to tackle because I'm not very good. Like I love the big idea and I can get really micro if I need to, but I prefer to stay as macro as possible. And actually I was one of those weird kids that although I was super social, I didn't really like group work. I I like to have my idea and focus on it myself. So I would say that in terms of training for a startup, you should definitely do some form of foundation business course. But I would highly recommend you just starting getting as much work experience as possible and, and also work experience in a startup, in a small company, because going to work at a large corporation, you're essentially cushioned and protected um, by, you know, all of the procedures and policies that they've had in place for years and years. A startup is chaotic as you like, and I think that everyone should have that experience. But for me personally, I am constantly doing courses because I think it's important, it gives me my competitive advantage to have knowledge in adjacent areas. So I actually do courses in philosophy. Um, I'll I'll do a random course in like beha- human behavioural biology. I will do, I've done a sailing course. Um, I only did one day before lockdown. I was so annoyed I have to wait. <laughs> but you know, I I love a course. Also, I think... There are very few situations today as an adult where you can be in a room with a group of people for no reason other than you're all there to learn the same subject. If you're going to the office, you spend so much time with your office friends, with your family friends. You've probably had friends from school. But in terms of like being in a room with, you know, a really diverse mix of people, my last course that I did, which was... um. Uh, Economics for Justice and Philosophy for Justice, there were like 70-year-old people in there. There were like teenagers in there who were just curious. Wow! But also there were just like people who'd retired. And I absolutely love that. It really allowed me to see a true cross-section of the UK, to be honest. So, yeah, I highly recommend courses as a competitive advantage.
0: Economics, how important are they for you as a person but within the realms of what you want to put out there as a businesswoman?
1: Well, the reason why I did that course was actually because it's a big gap in my knowledge. And I understand these terms, inflation and tax and fiscal spending and all of these. I hear them, but my brain isn't putting them all together in an interlocking way, which is just like I instantly get it. And I think that for me, I really care about being a citizen and I really care about my business being part of a greater whole of the economy. And also the women, um, you know, majority women who are selling their services, whether they're beauty or business or wellness, um, the women who are selling their services on my app, I really want them to be a collective good for the economy. And I really want them to be able to unlock productivity that they wouldn't have done had they not had a platform such as Beauty Stack to do it. Do you have mentors? I wouldn't say I have a regular mentor, but what I do have is a wonderful group of peers and advisors, many of whom are investors in Beauty Stack who have been, you know, so supportive on this journey that I know I can go to whether it's a practical problem, a personal problem, or a mental one. So it's it's important to surround yourself with people who you can turn to because entrepreneurship is quite possibly one of the hardest things I've ever done, one of the hardest things I, I will do. Um, you're constantly learning. But that learning is is challenging, you know, so you have to have people who you can talk to.
0: So the Open University is offering people from all walks of life an opportunity to follow their ambition and achieve with education. What are your thoughts on this?
1: I think that access to education is a human right. Is it a human right? Is it literally a human right on the list of human rights? Because if it's not, it should be. I think that for me personally... Being able to borrow myself in books when I was a kid, I was always in the library and then always like researching things on the internet. It was just such a a freeing thing that made me feel I could achieve anything. Like I just grew up with the strong belief that as long as I had the ability to educate myself or research the thing that I was interested in at any given moment, I could achieve anything.
0: I am very sure that to feel like I'm continuing to grow and continuing to learn is one of the most important things in my life. I want to learn always. I never want to stop learning. And I think that it's quite weird that we're sort of sold this idea that you stop learning at a certain point.
1: It's really crazy because what you've said there is exactly what I've been typing on my computer all morning because I'm about to launch... Not right now, but coming up, I'm launching a new project, which is a women's media platform. And one of the ways I've defined our reader, which is you, (laughs) is that our woman is an infinite learner and they are curious about the world around them. And if anything, they want as much knowledge as possible because they want to know the rules before they break them. You know, they always want to create their own freedom, their own autonomy. But you can't do that or not you can't, I would say it's more difficult to do that if you don't know what you might be rebelling against, you know? <laughs> yep,
0: a rebel without a cause. Exactly. I've been that a few times. I've learned the hard way. <laughs> and do you think boundaries are important? I know that boundaries are sort of being bounded around as a concept because it's quite new, I think. <laughs> I think, for a lot of people. But <laughs> separating a business self to a personal self, and within the business self, like not being afraid of, of openly stating those boundaries, like I am a boss. I have this amount of time. This is the way I roll within my professional life.
1: For boundary setting, firstly, everyone in my company writes what is called the guide to working with me. So they have to write a presentation about what motivates them, what demotivates them, um, how they remain most productive, their Best, most optimum hours, what inspires them, etc. And um, and then they present it and everyone presents it to the whole company. And it's really wonderful because if you have friction with another team member at Beauty Stack and you refer back to their guide, it's normally really obvious why you guys are in this relationship dynamic that's not working. Um, and then you mitigate that, you know, through various different ways. So we force everyone to state their boundaries really upfront when they join the company. But it does take a while before people stop crossing them because it's like a habit like anything else. Someone will keep doing something over and over again and I'll be like, this doesn't actually work for me. And they'll keep doing it until like I don't respond to it anymore. And then they learn they have to do it a different way. In terms of separating my business self and my personal self, I wouldn't say that there's a separation as such because I do think it's really important to bring your whole authentic self um, to work, especially when you're spending most of your waking hours at work, right? You spend more time at work than you do with your family. And it's too exhausting to pretend to be somebody else at a place that you're at for eight hours a day. It's like tiring, you have to find a place of work where you can be your precise brand of weirdo. That's what I call it. I'm like every everyone's weird in their own ways, but every organization, you're all weird together, you know? So I really think it's important that and it's not about um do what makes you happy. I would say it's do what you feel allows you to be your truest self, because actually that means it feels like it's not work. And I always think that. I think what makes Beauty Stack or War or Future Girl Corp or any of the things that I start or set up seem cool is because they are the purest version of me.
0: There, there goes my idea of putting on a power suit and being able to start Gemma Towers and just completely <laughs> separating my esoteric emotional self to that. And just like, as long as I've got shoulder pads, just being like, right, this is what we need to do.
1: <laughs> the, the thing about separating your emotional self, though, it's not like I really live by Stoic philosophy, and it's not about an emotional separation. It's like, where is my energy best spent right now? So you don't need to separate your emotion. If your if your heightened emotions makes you do your job better, then it's energy well spent, right? But if the emotions are getting a getting in the way of the job, then actually that's something that you can work on mastering. So I do think it's very contextual. Making tech
0: more accessible for all really does seem like a rallying cry of yours. If you were in charge,
1: how would you change
0: our education system to encourage that?
1: That's a very easy one because I would introduce design thinking principles from a very young age and also something called integrated thinking. So it's the idea that the whole is greater than the sum of its parts, right? Integrated thinking means that if I work on a problem, I'm not working on that problem in isolation to everything else that's going on. It's almost like, um, do you ever see memes of exam papers where someone said, Mohammed was ordered three bacon sandwiches, da, 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 da. And then the students write, but Mohammed wouldn't eat pork. Do you know what I mean? It's like, the school hasn't thought of the whole. They've just focused on, okay, we need a name, we need a problem, we need an exam answer. And I think integrated thinking or holistic thinking is one of the most important things that we could bring um, to our education system. So that's really important. And then the second one is design thinking or human-centred design thinking. So that implies that whenever you're... um, solving for a problem, so let's say you're in DT, engineering, whatever it is, that you start from the user, and you're like, okay, if Gemma is the user for this egg cup, the reason I say egg cup is that's one of the first projects I made in design technology, and it's actually so sick. When I think of this egg cup, it was like a designer egg cup, right? Of course it was. (laughs) but But we all made the same egg cup. We all made exactly the same. We weren't taught, okay, who is your customer? What type of egg cup do they want? How long is this egg cup going to last for? Does it, is it going to be used every day? Is it only going to be used for special ceremonies? Do you know what I mean? So teaching design thinking principles from a really young age or human-centered design, I think, is how we can improve it because all technology is, is solving for human problems. That's it. How important is ambition to you and how ambitious are you? So I never thought of myself as a particularly ambitious person. But the funny thing is, I just finished this book called The Big Leap by Gay Hendricks, which talks about an upper limit problem, which is the image of themselves that most people have is not actually really their maximum potential. So it's like, you know, imagine how you want to be in 10 years time and then actually 10 exit, like think, oh yeah, it would be lovely to, you know, be managing the store that I work at. But actually, could you be area manager? Could you be a VP? Could you actually be the MD of the entire company?
0: I'd like to add confidence into that because you have to try and define some sense of self-confidence to be able to up the ambition?
1: Well, I am a really strong believer, and I've had lots of arguments about this, that confidence comes purely from knowledge, literally. Mm. I think if you're not confident about something, it's because you don't have all the facts. That's that's all. So it might be that you're walking into a job interview, but you don't have all the facts. The facts being you don't know what's behind the door. You don't know who's interviewing you. You don't know the profiles of the people. They haven't really said anything beyond the job spec about what they're looking for. You don't know from a knowledge point of view if your skill set matches this job role completely. You might not know enough about the company. You might not have read their last five annual shareholder reports. Do you get what I mean? So I think that when you're nervous or you lack confidence about something, it's because you you literally just lack knowledge because with knowledge comes the confidence. Like, oh, I know this. I understand this. If I was going for a job interview, I would Google stalk every single person who was interviewing me. In fact, I would ask them, could you please send me the names of the people who will be interviewing me before the interview? I would then look at everything about the company online. I'd be reading newspaper articles about them, magazine posts. If the head of the company wrote a book, I would read the book. I would listen to podcast interviews about the founder. I would literally do so much research that by the time I got to the interview, I would feel like I already knew the company. I knew my the chances of my success so I really think that when you're feeling unconfident about anything, all you need to do is gather more intel, more data, more knowledge about the subject and it will put you at ease for sure. I love that.
0: Thank you so much, Sharma Reed. Reid. As always, a fountain of knowledge and wisdom. In a world where entrepreneurialism is so aspirational, it's so refreshing for me to hear about Charmadine's route to her success and her sheer passion for learning forever in every sector in her life and pushing all the boundaries in the tech world, which can often seem very daunting. I applaud Sharma Dean reed We've heard from someone at the top of her game, really pushing what's possible in a field. And I want to take a few minutes to talk to someone who's chasing at her heels. This is Daniel, currently studying computing and IT with the OU. Hello, Daniel. Hey, how are you? I'm all right. So, Daniel, tell me a little bit about how you came to be studying with the OU and how you chose your course.
2: So, I found it online because I was looking for an entry into tech. Um, so, when I found the OU, um, it was like, it was really good. It matched what I wanted.
0: And what was the moment that made you think, yeah, that is for me?
2: I think when I saw the syllabus and like the curriculum um, and what, what you studied on the course, I think that's when I realised, oh, this is really good. It's what I want to do. So, that's when I realised.
0: So what course exactly are you studying?
2: So I'm studying the undergraduate in computing and IT. It's just the broad route that I've chosen because um, I, lo- I like that because it exposes you to all the different technologies rather than focusing on one thing.
0: And what do you love about it the most?
2: I think how up to date it is, like the technologies they teach, um, it's what employers are looking for. It's, it's not outdated like a lot of uh, computer science degrees are.
0: Can you tell us a little bit about why the OU works well for you in particular in terms of the way that you learn?
2: I don't, I don't learn well through like large uh, segments of time. So I never really did well in school because I'm, I'm fidgety. I can't concentrate. Um, instead, I, I like to study for an hour and then go do something and come back to it for another hour later on. And I feel like um, I soak more up that way. So having, say, an assignment due in four weeks' time, I can, I can look, work out roughly how much I need to do and how many hours per day. That I'll need to do and that way I can like spread out quite nicely so that um, I'm doing a lot lots of small amounts of learning
0: and how do you charter that you know what's the difference in the distance learning compared to being face-to-face with people how does it make you feel like you are moving forward
2: um in terms of progression I think it's actually really similar I mean I have friends that went to, to traditional unis and some really good unis as well and they, they use online portals and their assignments are handed back to them marked by a tutor um, and they get feedback the same way that I do. So I can gauge how well I'm doing um, through, say, a module or a, or a specific part of the course. If my marks are going up, um, each each assignment, you know, the marks are getting a little bit higher.
0: Has there been anything that surprised you about the style of distance learning at the Open University?
2: Yeah, I think how in touch you feel with like the rest of the people doing the course. Um, you're always getting emails from your tutor checking in on you and with the online community, there's always people asking questions about the course you're on or about their course. And it does feel like a really good community. So I think my answer to that would be um, feeling in touch with like the wider community.
0: So you're you working as well as studying. What are you working on?
2: Um, so currently I work as a junior network engineer. I had, I had limited knowledge about networking before uh, I started the Open University degree. So, so through studying the course and through doing some learning in my own time, I was offered a job as a junior network engineer. Um, you know and they teach me things and it's, it's very hands-on so it's good.
0: So it's really complementing one another.
2: Definitely yeah because sometimes I'll have a university assignment and if it's quite related to something I do in work I, I don't even have to like look at material or I can just like smash through it in like an hour um, and then sometimes I'll be doing something at work and it's like oh, I've actually studied this so I, I know how to do this.
0: Does it make you a whiz in terms of people always asking you for advice on tech?
2: <laughs> um, a little bit, yeah, I suppose.
0: <laughs> Handy. <laughs> yeah right
2: <laughs> yeah I think that's another important thing to note as well. um because employers are always well, no matter what industry you go into or what job role, employers always like someone who's a little tech savvy, it's just mm. good to it's just good to know these things.
0: So talk me through your day to day, Daniel. what's your general routine?
2: So I usually work um nine to five thirty and I'll come home and i'll I'll relax to about half six, seven. Um, And then I'll usually do about an hour to an hour and a half. Um, That's Monday, to Thursday, Friday and Saturday. I usually chill out unless I have an assignment. I usually relax and take some time out. And then Sunday I'll come back to it and I'll do a good four hours over the day, over the course of the day, spread out uh, of studying.
0: So which route have you gone down in terms of studying? Are you full time or part time?
2: Um, So at the moment I study full time, um, but because of job commitments and um, other things that I want to pursue as well I might drop down to part-time just just temporarily just for a year and then I think I want to tackle my final year uh, full-time
0: so does that mean that that offers you some flexibility yeah
2: definitely um it's it's another reason that I found you know, attractive because because I I don't know what my life's gonna look like in a year or two um and it's nice to know that you know if if I get opportunities elsewhere or, you know, job opportunities that require more time, I can drop down, down in terms of um, the intensity of the course. It means that I can still study and I can still work towards a degree, but, you know, without dropping entirely. entirely. Um, so that's important to me.
0: So you are working at the moment, which obviously has to be a priority in terms of your employer. What do they think about you having study as part of your life as well?
2: Um, they they really appreciate it. Um because I'm constantly learning. And I think because I was putting myself through the degree, told them that I was really keen on technology. And it is something that I I wasn't it wasn't just like a pit stop, it is something I wanted to work in. So they they really liked it. And I think it's one of the things that helped me get the job.
0: In terms of your future ambitions, has doing the open university course broadened your horizons or offered you any particular opportunities?
2: Definitely, yeah. Um I think when I'm studying certain aspects of technology. They're not always things that I've been exposed to before. Um, and when I, you know, when I do a bit of research and I see the type of areas that people can work in technology, it's really exciting. Um, because I think when people think of technology, they think of um, coding. But there's like a lot more to it than that now. There's artificial intelligence. Um, there's uh, finance technology. And th- there are more uh, subsectors sprouting up all the time. So it's really exciting.
0: How big are your dreams? What do you want to do one day? If the sky was their limit.
2: It'd be cool to have my own company, my own tech company. Even if it was a small company, that would be cool. Um, I think short term, after I do my undergrad, I would like to do a master's with the OU. If I perform well enough in my undergrad and I've got the time, you know, that would be really nice.
0: And what would you like to do the master's in?
2: Computer science, yeah, or related.
0: Do you think that once you're open to learning, that it just continues like that, that you just want more and more, it's, it makes you sort of become insatiable? for knowledge Mm. and skill.
2: Yeah, I think that's a good point. Um, I think especially after three or four years of learning, which is what around the time I'll finish the degree, I think it would be quite weird not learning and not going home and and learning. I can't think of anything else in my spare time I would be doing. It's become so natural to me.
0: So I'm thinking about doing a course at the OU. What would you say to me, Daniel?
2: Yeah, I'd say definitely go for it. So I would definitely recommend it.
0: Thank you so much for your expertise and time. I know that you are a very busy young man. Cheers.
2: Thank you very much for giving me this opportunity.
0: It was very exciting speaking to Daniel at the beginning of his journey. Who knows what direction it might take and what he might end up launching by the end of all of this. The mind boggles and it's refreshing to know that he is so supported in being able to innovate in such a way. Huge thanks to both of my guests this week, Daniel and Sharma reed It's been a total delight and inspiration for me. I hope that you've enjoyed it and it's inspired you too. Please become the geniuses that you have the potential to be. Next time, I'll be meeting Mark Grist. Mark's a teacher turned poet and international rap battler. Yes, you did hear right. He became an international rap battler when he was originally a teacher not what you'd necessarily expect, right, when you start a teacher training. He's got a lot to say. He's also got a lot to say specifically on the importance of failure in order to learn, which I think is a very interesting perspective. He's a force for encouraging people to have a go. And I can't wait for you to hear our conversation. See you next time. You've been listening to Life on Our Terms, a podcast with The Open University. It was presented by me, Gemma Kearney, and produced by Lytton Entertainment.